I'm going to read um, the Bible now. So it's the first half of Romans 5, Romans 5, verses 1 to 11. Romans 5, 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more then shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for your love for us. And Father, as we listen to your word today um, being explained and uh, preached to us, I pray that you would carry your message into all of our hearts. And Father, I pray, um, convict us, assure us, but first and foremost, change us, Father. Change us and um, show us Christ. Uh, through your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There should be something coming up now on the screen, I hope. Yeah. I hope you can see it. Um, do you know what this is? It's, it's, an, it's a necklace on a black background, right? <laughs> but um, it's a special one. It uh, was Queen Elizabeth's necklace. Um, why am I showing you this? Because it's basically Romans 5, 1 to 11. Have a look at the shape of it with the big diamond in the middle and the other little diamonds um, lined up like pearls surrounding it. That's the structure of our passage today. In Romans 5, 1 11, Paul shows us the benefits, the diamonds, the gems, if you like, that flow out of justification. In the last couple of weeks, we, we have seen how Paul established this doctrine of justification by faith alone and uh, by grace alone, in Christ alone. 
But now he shifts gears a bit and he shows us what it means to be justified. And how is he doing this? He takes all these gems, all these diamonds, and he puts them one after another in these 11 verses until they are all joined up together as one masterpiece, like this necklace. But at the heart of it, at the heart of this masterpiece, there is a centerpiece, a huge diamond. It's God's love for us. And this huge, precious diamond um, is in the middle, like, like this one in the middle of the necklace. It's holding everything together. Uh, we could easily spend a sermon on each of these little diamonds around it. But today I want to concentrate on this big diamond, on God's love for us. And we will look at it from different angles. And while we do this, we, we will see how it illuminates the rest of the passage for us. And we will see how God's love changes everything. It changes who we are, what we do, and what we hope for. So let's start by looking at how God's love changes who we are. And this is a bit of a longer point, so bear with me. The other two points are a bit shorter. Um, so where do we find um, the diamonds in this passage? Um, so have a look at verse 5. Paul says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's the first time that this word love actually comes up in Romans. It's the word um, agape in Greek, and it's uh, one of the four words for love, but it's the greatest love. It's a gift. It's a sacrificial love, a love that is spontaneous. It comes from God to us, and no one tells him how to love, whom to love, why to love, and when to love. It's according to God's good pleasure, according to his will, that he pours out this love into our hearts. And look at this word poured out here. God is not very Presbyterian here. It's not sprinkling. It's pouring out. It's like a constant waterfall. God's love is like a flood. And it's channeled into our hearts directly by the Holy Spirit. God's love has a target. And that target is the inner core of your very being, your heart. Um, that which makes you who you are, uh, your spiritual center. And that's how God's love changes us. The core of your very being is flooded with God's love. And it's changing you. You see, the moment when you come before God and repent uh, and repentance and faith the moment you truly believe in christ as your lord and savior that's the biggest moment in your life because in a blink of an eye this waterfall of god's love starts to flow and it changes who you are you see when 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 you're justified that's not just a transaction that happens in heaven it's not just some paperwork done in heaven. It's the most personal and life-changing thing that can happen to you. It starts to transform who you are. It changes your heart, your whole being, who you are before God. So do you know something about this love? A friend um, asked me once, do you know why the stars are so beautiful? And he says it's 
It's because you see them against the black background, the dark background, the night. You don't see the stars in daylight, do you? You know, um, you need this dark background to see them in all their beauty. Like the dark background this necklace was lying on that I showed you. And it's the same with God's love for us. To see the beauty of God's love, we need to hold it against the dark background of our sinfulness and God's just wrath for us. That's what Paul did in the first chapters of Romans. He painted this dark background for us. He showed us our own sinfulness and God's wrath. So that the diamonds of God's love and the benefits of justification can shine even brighter. How can you know something about God's peace for you? That's mentioned in verse 1. If you don't know anything about the preceding war with God. We need this knowledge, and I think we need it especially in a Western country like Australia, which can seem like heaven on earth. People living in bathing in prosperity. We need to be reminded of God's wrath. It's real, and it's not just a theory. You see, God's wrath is its like a dam, and the pressure is increasing. It has been increasing since Cain and Abel, and every unrepented sin increases the pressure against the dam wall even further. The only thing that holds it back, that holds back the flood of God's wrath, is his patience. But on the day of judgment... There will be a dam break. And this flood of God's wrath will flush away every unrepentant sinner into hell, into the lake of fire. You see, there are two floods here. There's the flood of God's wrath, and there's the flood of God's love. And God's love for us is an undeserved love. We don't deserve any drop of this waterfall that is channeled through the Spirit into our hearts. But instead, we deserve an ocean of God's wrath, conscious, eternal punishment. That's what we deserve each and every day. That's the dark background, and it's pretty dark. To appreciate God's love for us, our salvation, we need to understand what we are saved from. Paul shows us the hell we came from to show us the grace that we now stand in as justified and forgiven sinners. That's why we sing about amazing love. It's, it wouldn't be so amazing if we all deserved it, right? But it's also amazing love because it changes who you are. Let me show you how much change there actually is. Let me give you a list of these small diamonds around the necklace. You were at war with God. Now you have peace with God. You stood under God's wrath. Now you stand firm in his grace. You were his enemy. Now you are his friend and his child. You fell short of the glory of God. Now you can boast in the hope for it. You lived in uncertainty of the future. Now you have certainty and assurance of the future. You were outside of God's presence. Now you have constant access to God. In fact, God made his dwelling in you. His spirit now lives within you. If that's not changed, I don't know what is. That's huge. And the foundation for all of this? It's God's love for us. 
to our Lord Jesus Christ. But you might say, I'm not so sure about God's love for me. Poured into my heart and the Holy Spirit living in me. I can't feel it. I can't touch it. I can't see it either. It's very untangible. And you might have doubts. Does God really love me? I think many Christians will come up with these questions in their life. How can I know for sure that God loves me? Well, Paul answers this question in verses 6 to 8. Have a look. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's worth to pause here and just let this sink in. This is the John 3.16 of Romans. You have doubts? Look to Christ. Look to the cross, says Paul. That's the way from uncertainty to assurance. Because it's on the cross that God's love for us is demonstrated. It's a real event in history. And it took place in a real place in Jerusalem. You can go with West there next year if you want to. There's a tour coming up. You can go to the place where the crowd saw Christ beaten up, bleeding, walking with the cross to Calvary. They saw him hanging on the cross. They heard his cries when the nails went through his hand and feet. They saw him taking his last breath. They saw him dying a terrible and shameful death. How is this a display of God's love for us? Well, let me ask you a question which is not too far-fetched, actually. And sadly, we have seen it happening many times uh, in the recent years. But uh, So what if, and, and God forbid this will ever happen at KPC, but what if a gunman would just enter this building now and he would start to shoot around trying to kill every one of us. Would you willing to take the bullet for someone in this room? It's a disturbing scenario, but would you give your life for someone else so that they could be saved? I think I wouldn't hesitate to um, try to save Josiah and I think many of us, if not all, would do the same for their children. But how about the stranger? How about someone who came to church just this morning and you didn't even have time to talk to that person? Would you die for that person? It's not unheard of, but Paul says this would be a very rare thing to happen. Even if that person is morally righteous, a law-abiding citizen, or even if that person is a good person, really doing good in the world that can be seen. You might give your life for that person, but it's very unlikely because your instinct of survival would just be very strong. And unless you have a strong relationship to that person, I think you would think twice about it. But you know what Christ did? He didn't just die for the stranger. He died for the gunmen as well. 
Christ and God didn't send his son to die for those who loved him and helped him and served him. He sent his son to die for murderers, for his murderers, for those who spat in his face, who despised him, who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. While we would constantly ask the question, is this person or that person worth it to die for? Christ didn't ask that person. He died for the unworthy, the ungodly, his enemies, who did not want to have anything to do with him. So looking at us then, what is it that attracted God's love towards us? Was it our pleas for help? Our good intentions, a spark of divinity, our potential? No, there was nothing in us that attracted God's love for us. It doesn't matter whether you grew up in a Christian home or not. At one point, we were all enemies of God. And yet he did it. He sent his only begotten and beloved son to die for sinners like you and me. Don't get me wrong, guys. I, I love you, but I wouldn't give Josiah for any of you. My, my, my love has limits. But God's love, it has no end. Um, that's the gospel, right? That's what happened on the cross. It's truly amazing love. It's divine love that can't be compared to anything else. And so if you have doubts today about God's love for you, look first and foremost to the cross. Look at Christ. Because once you truly understand this love for God for you, you will not be the same person again. You will be changed. You will be willing to come before God in repentance, faith, and thankfulness. And as Christians, we do this again and again, right? Let me tell you this. The, the gospel is not breaking news. It's good news. And it doesn't stop to be good news. Even if we have heard it a thousand times. In fact, we need to keep hearing it because it continues to change us and to give us assurance of God's love because it points us to the demonstration of his love on the cross and to the love that is poured out into our hearts like a flood through the Holy Spirit. And so if your core, your whole being is changed, that means there's no question about it. Your will, your actions, how you live your life, will be changed as well. And that brings us to point two. God's love changes who we are. Paul tells us three times in this passage to boast and to rejoice. In verse 11 he says, We also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. In verse 2 he says, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. But have a look at verse 3. The NRV says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. And glory here is the same word as boast or rejoice. But to boast or rejoice in your sufferings? Doesn't that sound a bit odd to you? I mean, it's not my normal reaction to suffering, and I'm speaking as a man here, probably as a representative of some of the blokes in the room. You can ask my wife about this, and glad she's not here now. But it, it doesn't take long for me to whinge about sufferings, but to boast about them? Rejoice in them? Well, Paul isn't saying we should become masochists uh, who seek out suffering. No, but he says as a Christian, be prepared 
that suffering will come your way. God never promised us a life of fairy tales and prosperity. In fact, verse 3, that's actually the anti-prosperity gospel. But why can we boast in sufferings? Paul says, because we know. It has to do with knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. You see, suffering starts as a, starts a chain reaction um, because it's God's way of testing and refining us. It's like putting a hot piece of metal or a piece of metal into the furnace um, to see if it's real. If it's plastic, it will just melt away. But if it's gold or silver, it will be refined at the end. And that's what God is doing, and we can rejoice about it. Not because we like the pain, the grief, the mourning that comes with it, but because as Christians we know that our sufferings have a purpose. They change us. Every time you suffer, God is pushing you further forward in your sanctification. He stands by your side, and he helps you to persevere. Through him we can find patience, contentment, and peace while we suffer. Yes, your character gets tested by God, but eventually you come out of sufferings with a renewed hope, with assurance, an assurance that is based on God's love. I, I know a lovely Christian lady um, who's suffering from brain cancer at the moment. And she is now in palliative care and uh, will probably die within a couple of weeks. Her husband is a non-Christian. Um, he's full of despair without any hope. Yet he's even angry about her God not saving her. But this Christian lady, she's such a beautiful witness to him and the world around her. She's the complete opposite of him. She is full of hope because she knows God's love and where she is going. She knows that God has saved her already. And do you know what she did a couple of weeks ago? Probably the last weeks of her life. She gave her pastor a detailed plan for her funeral. And when I say detailed, I mean detailed. This lady, she knows exactly who is coming. She knows that there will be a lot of non-Christians coming to her funeral. And so she told her pastor, when you say this, you look at this person. And when you, when, you, when you say that, you look at that person. That's how detailed it is. She wants her funeral to be an evangelistic event that points people to the hope we have in Christ. You see, God's love has changed her inner core, who she is. And God's love has changed what she does. She boasts in God and in her sufferings. Because she knows that her hope will not disappoint her. It will not put her to shame, as Paul says in verse 5. Why? Because it stands on the pillars of God's love. Our God who promised us that he will work all things for good, for those who love him and for those who are called according to his purpose. And with all things, he means all things. All of our sufferings. They have a purpose. So when you go through tough times, be reminded of this. Be reminded of God's love for you. That you're not alone in this. But that God is with you. 
He made himself a dwelling place within your heart with his Holy Spirit. And his love and his grace are sufficient to get you through even the hardest and toughest times. It's a waterfall that will never stop. And it changes your core. It purifies your character. And it should be reflected in your life. How we deal with sufferings. How we boast in God even in the front of others. How much we want them to be saved from God's wrath. How much we are different from the world around us. How we pray. And how we give glory to God for all of this. And what the future holds for us. What hope we have in the future. And that brings us to our last point for today. I don't know if you picked it up, but uh, verses 3 to 5 are not just a chain, but it's actually a cycle. It starts with the boasting in the hope of the glory of God in verse 3, but then, it, then comes this chain, the suffering, perseverance, character, but it ends with hope again. It's a cycle of sanctification. And when we enter into the cycle with future hope of our glorification, we know that suffering is only temporal. And when we come out of this cycle, we come out with even stronger hope. But you know, when, talk, uh, when Paul talks about hope, he doesn't mean hope in the sense of uncertainty, right? Um, not like when we say, I hope it will not rain today, um, or I hope Australia will win the FIFA World Cup. Um, these are things which are very unlikely, wishful thinking even. Um, but hope in the Bible means assurance. It's bedrock certainty. When Paul says we boast in the hope of the glory of God, he means we boast in the certainty of our glorification. He says your future is secure. Don't worry about it. He says if you had, it's, it's like as if you had been glorified 10,000 years ago already. That's how secure it is. Is that the reality in your life? Is that what you hope for? Let me show you why it should be and why it is so certain. Have a look at verse 9 to 10. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, we, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What's Paul saying? It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. Imagine if I come to you, and you offer me your car. So I come to pick up the car and I ask for the key. I mean, you just offered me your car. How much more will you give me the key, right? There's no question about it. And it's the same here. If you were God's enemies, but in Christ, now you are his friends, his children, part of the household of God. So if God sent his son to die for us while we were still his enemies, how much more will he save us on the day of judgment? Now that we are his friends. You can simply summarize it like this, probably for the um, engineers here. Um, once saved, always saved. That's it. Past, present, future. You were saved from the penalty of sin. You are saved from the power of sin. And you will be saved from the presence of sin and the wrath to come. You remember the necklace I showed you? It's actually a special necklace that the queen wore for her coronation when she became queen. 
And we've, if we stick with this image, if all these diamonds represent the benefits that flow out of justification, the peace with God, no condemnation, access to God, reconciliation, the love of God, that means as Christians, we already have this necklace like hanging around our necks. But on the day of judgment, we will get a crown on top of that. That's our coronation, if you will. Because we are not just friends of God, but we are heirs of God. Follow, fellow heirs with Christ. That's our final crown of glorification which awaits us. It's already waiting there for you in heaven. Secured by Christ. But before we finish, let me ask you this. Why do you believe in God? Why do you believe in Christ? Is it because of what Christ has done for you on the cross? Saving you from condemnation and wrath? Giving you the benefits, the diamonds you don't deserve and securing this crown in heaven for you? Is that why you believe in Christ? Don't get me wrong, the answer is yes and amen. <laughs> but that's only half of the answer. Because Christ is not just an Uber driver who's bringing you all these benefits. The guy who's doing the job for you so that you can enjoy the food. He did this, yes. But only, that's only part of why we believe in him. We also believe in Christ because of who he is. Because it's Christ and only Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, who can save you from God's wrath. There's no one else who could have demonstrated God's love for us. It needed Christ, fully man, fully God. It needed love incarnate. Divine love putting on flesh to reconcile us to God and to appease his wrath. Jesus is the only one who could step in between us and God. You know, the physical pain on the cross was nothing compared to the wrath of God that was poured out on Christ in that moment. In that moment, the Father crushed the Son under the ocean of wrath. And why? So that not a single drop of God's wrath is now left for you today or in the future. Christ took it all for you. And no one else could have done it. And that's only because of who Christ is, both fully man and fully God, love incarnate. That's what makes your salvation possible. And that's also what makes it secure. The triune God who showed his character on the cross, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, all working together. That's what makes this love so strong. You know, the Apostle John, he, in his gospel, he, he's the one who said God is love, right? He is love. But he has this beautiful picture in his gospel. This beautiful picture of what it means when you are justified and truly believe in Christ. He says God's love is as if you are placed in the hands of Christ. And no one can snatch you out of his hand. But then... He says, there's more to it because the Father puts his hand on top of that and seals it to the utmost. 
That's a double seal. And this double seal becomes a triple seal. If you think about the Holy Spirit in your heart. That's how strong God's love is. No one will be able to change that. God's love endures forever. And that's what this Christian lady with the brain cancer knows about. That's why her hope is so strong and great. And that's the same hope and assurance we can have. And so to close, I want to read to you the verses in the Bible where I think they, there's no better part in the Bible to demonstrate that. And these words, they come from Romans chapter 8. So let me close with these words. Romans chapter 8 from verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither presence nor future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.